Welcome back to the Alex Mo I Am A PT podcast. Tonight, we don't have a physical therapist or medical doctor. We do have our first licensed clinical social worker, Mr. Hayden Dawes, and PhD candidate. And it is Tuesday, which is also known as Petty Tuesday on Twitter. So we have permission to be petty today. So Alex, that's a normal Tuesday for Alex, but... <laughs> Hey, listen, listen. I, I, I can be very petty. I try not to be. I try not to be, but the certain times that I can definitely be petty and uh, yeah, have fun with it. Yes. Yeah, so I am going to be giving myself permission to be very petty throughout the show today. Um, not only talking about Crocs or anything else that amuses Alex when I complain about his choice of teams like the Cowgirls and other things, but. Um, I just want everyone tuned in to this episode or watching it later to enjoy the wealth of information that Hayden is going to be bringing to us. And if you have not yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, please take a moment and do so now. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Welcome, Hayden. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, Looking forward to digging in a little bit more about sort of social media, the ways in which I kind of view it, why I think it's important that we have this conversation. I think many of us are so aware of the many different harms and concerns that we have about our social media usage. And so what does it mean for different healthcare providers or different people that are sort of public figures using this space? What does it mean of us engaging in this space when there's so many eyes on us and people are viewing us a certain way? So I'm excited to be with physical therapists. I know physical therapy. I've had many different physical therapists in my life for different ailments, for different joints, for different hips, different knees, whatever, what have you. I think your profession is so important, so needed, and I'm thankful for everything that you do. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, as always, thank you very much for taking the time uh, to this. Obviously, we know you've got a lot uh, going on, so we're definitely very grateful. A whole lot. <laughs> definitely very grateful for the opportunity uh, to spend some time with you and to talk about, you know, social media and all the things that you just uh, talked about. I always like to kind of get a nice background on our guest, um, just kind of hear their stories, just how they get to where they are today. Um, and, and I feel that that's important because there's a lot of our viewers who may be going through some similar circumstances or, or situations that you may have encountered. And now you've you know worked your way to get to this point um, and to do the things and accomplish the things that you have done. You know, and sometimes it just takes that one individual to kind of relate with somebody and their experiences to say, hey, I'm not the only one or right. I'm just like, you know, Hayden is and look where Hayden is and if he did it, I can do it because we all need that motivation. We all need that that person, that that incident, that situation that we can connect with to help us get over that that hump or, or whatever it may be. So t tell me about yourself. Like, how, how did you get where you are today? What was your you know upbringing, childhood and how did that shape or how did lack of stuff make you pivot? in a different direction that kind of helped you to where you are today? Wow, Alex, that is a big, big question. And it's like, as you were talking, I was like, which entry point should I go into? Well, let me start off here because I think it's important to kind of situate that I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I think about how different systems impact individuals and their well-being and their, and particularly the mental health. And but I had no intention of being here. I didn't know I was gonna be here. I didn't know I was gonna be a doctoral student at one of the top universities in sort of the country and some people might argue sort of internationally. I didn't know I was gonna be a researcher that was gonna be looking at, you know, queer people of color and the mental health needs and their well-being needs. And I didn't think about how thinking about how social media is important to this population. This is not something I intended. If you had asked me this in high school, I'd have been like, there's no way. I wouldn't, you're not gonna be a therapist, no. You're not gonna be a PhD person. Like, no, that's not you. Well, I think it's important to know that I am a dual citizen of Great Britain. 
and um, the United States of America. My dad's family immigrated from Jamaica to Florida. My mom's family immigrated from Jamaica to England. My mother already had two children. She had my brother and my sister before I came along. She got divorced, met my father because he was in the Air Force. So I'm a military brat. Um, I've lived in the Netherlands. I've also lived in Italy. Um, and after living in those countries with my family, we came to Hope Mills, North Carolina. And it was the biggest culture shock of my life. I can imagine. <laughs> you know, I didn't understand anti-Black racism at this extent. Um, but one thing I did understand, because my parents taught us this the whole time, wherever we were, in whatever different nation we were with, with whatever different faith we were with, was this practice and this understanding of cultural humility. And so what does it mean to be surrounded by people that look different than you or experience the world different than you, that have a different culture, that have a different language, have a different way of navigating the world? What does it mean to honor and respect that and also know who you are? So I'm extremely grateful for, to, my, to my parents, to my family for instilling that in me. So while in Hope Mills, North Carolina, I was always involved in sort of leadership activities and um, different plays, different musicals, chorus. And I was singing at church and I was known as someone with a good voice. Um, that's something that's not debatable. <laughs> and so from there, I did what I was good at. You know, I was a queer chubby black boy in the middle of the South and I did what I was good at. You know, I was dealing with homophobia and I, I already thought like, where's the space that I could actually be comfortable in? And for me, I thought um, that was gonna be in the music. And so I went to the University of North Carolina at Greensboro and I studied vocal performance. Um, I did classical music. I studied a lot of, you know, dead white men <laughs> and their music and the poetry and all of that. And I got into it and I was t t taking French diction, Italian diction and, and German and all those wonderful languages. Well, sort of the biggest loss of my life and shout out to everyone. T today is actually um, Grief Awareness Day and I actually did an IG live with Rebecca um, Sofer, who is the founder of Modern Loss Today. And we were talking about all very many different layers of loss. And the, big, the biggest, sort of the first biggest loss of my life was um, realizing I wasn't gonna be a singer. I was having a lot of acid reflux issues, a lot of allergy allergen issues. And I figured out like, you know, this is not gonna be my path. And so I went into sales. I did retail partner sales. Um, are we hearing an echo or is it just me? I think we should be good. You're, are you good? Yeah. Okay. As long as you're good, I'm good. Um, so I was working in retail partner sales. I was selling cable. I was selling cell phones at the time and different sort of bigger big box stores. And I'll never forget this. And I met... As I was selling cable, I met this wonderful woman named Rebecca Clace, and she came by my table, or I probably stopped her at the time, and I said, hi, like, do you want to buy this cable package? And she says, well, does this cable package come with C-SPAN 3? And I said, who the heck watches C-SPAN 3? And she says, well, I do. I'm a political science professor. And I said, oh, okay. And she says, well, she says, Hayden, let me ask you this question. Do you want to go back to school? And I said, yeah, I absolutely do want to go back to school. She says, what do you want to go back to school for? I said, I think I want to get my MBA. She says, you don't want an MBA. And I was like, I don't. She says, well, Hayden, let me tell you. She's like, I was a music education person. I, I studied clarinet and I made a pivot and a switch. She says, you don't want an MBA. You want an MPA master's in public administration. And I said, I have no idea what that is. And so she shared with me, she says, public administrators are people that are working in nursing homes or nonprofits, different places where they're thinking about sort of the people. She says, MBAs think about stockholders and MPAs think about stakeholders. Who are the constituents? Who are the people that you're trying to serve? And so 
she says, hey, what about your job do you like? And I said, well, I really like seeing how my products and my the different services I have can really help people and can really fit the different things that they need in their lives. And she says, okay. She says, what about your job don't you like? I said, the numbers. I said, I, I don't like having this quota over my head. I don't like feeling like I have to sell, you know, grandma something she doesn't need. And she says, exactly. And she said, that's why you need to think about something in the public sector. Well, there it was. Had that one person, Alex, you mentioned, who that, that one person that kind of changes everything for you. So I took a step back and I started researching different public administration programs. And I saw that a lot of public administration programs actually had an MSW, like a dual degree. At the time, I thought I was going to start off doing more macro practice, um, meaning doing sort of more grant work, funding, development work. And I applied to UNC for both programs, did not get into either. Although if I'm being completely honest, I don't think I really understood what social work was. Even though my best friend from way back in Hope Mills, North Carolina, queer black woman, tight like this to this day, was in school for social work at UNC, I still didn't know what it was. Well, I got into NC State for both programs and being the ambition, ambitious person that I am, um, both program directors, two strong black women that I, I adore to this day, said to me, Hayden, you don't need to get two masters. Get one master's in one and get maybe the PhD in the other. And I said, well, I'm ambitious. I'm going to get two masters. And they're like, <laughs> okay. So I started taking the MPA classes and I was like, mm, city ordinances, local policy. I was just kind of, I was just like, this is so like, okay, it's fine. I could do this, but like, do I want to? Well, anyways, I started taking the social work classes. My I, my eyes lit up. I was like, whoa, like this is a whole new world. Thinking about these different systems, thinking about individual counseling. I just, I felt like this was a place where I was going to be seen, heard, and understood, as well as come up with the frameworks, the ideas, the principles, the values that would help me better understand myself. And so then I never turned back and I've sort of been a social worker ever since. I've claimed my space in that. I've worked with the veterans population. I've worked um, working with people that are low income in and out of the hospital for mental health issues. I've done various different things in my career and I'm so proud of it. And I'm so proud to be a social worker. Yes, I know we have our mess, but I still think we're the best profession on the planet. Um, and I'm so grateful I get to do the work that I do. Even though I was in a great job before this, I knew I had research questions. I knew I had a leadership ability that I need, needed to further sort of bear out. So that's a long answer to that question. But Alex, I'm going to blame you for that because you stack so many questions with it. Hey, and, and that's fine because, again, that, that's what, you know, we're, we're here. We're just, we're just having a conversation and, and getting to know. But, but again, for me, it, it's that, that understanding where somebody comes from, mm -hmm. it really dictates a lot about who they are as an individual, who they are as a professional um, who they are in, in relationships and stuff like that, because the experiences that you have, uh, I feel like younger in life and, and even as you mature into a young adult, like that just shapes you. And it's not always positive, right? Like there's always negative experiences Absolutely. that are going to change and shape. Like you may have a negative experience and from that experience, you learn what you're not going to do or what you don't want to do or what you don't want to repeat when you become a parent or when you because of things you've seen or, or experienced. Right. right? So it, it, it plays a, a very huge part. I feel as who we are as individuals and how we go about our business in, in, in many different uh, phases and facets of life. So absolutely love to, to know where, where you're coming from and, and how, you know, how you got there. Like you said, you know, you said in high school, you would have never, said i'm going to do this so if we would have asked you in high school would it have been the music route oh absolutely i just knew i was going to be a top diva traveling the world to the, the best opera houses around the world like i mean that was without a doubt and here i am being a servant of the people 
<laughs> well, I, I have a more uh, serious uh, breakaway pivot um, because we we are all all three of us are servants of the people because um, we do work with clients. You started off doing the MPA, and a lot of the ideas that we may have to help to, as you would say, reimagine and redesign societal issues have to be done from the policymaking avenue. So looking back, would you say that having that public administration background would help implement some of the policies that you would you see or observe being a clinician? That's loaded, isn't it? No, I don't think it's loaded. I, I think it's a both and. You know, this summer I had, um, because I'm a health policy research scholar through the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, I'm in a um, quite competitive um, fellowship. And the work that we do is all about learning how to turn our research findings into little p policy, maybe on that agency or even on a state level or even a local level all the way to the big P policy of like sort of the big federal policy. So for me, it's very much a both and. You know, I can see policymakers who are disconnected from the communities in which they're making policies about. So I'm thankful and I'm very grateful for my clinical experiences when I've looked right in the face of the suffering that this policy might shape both in the better and in the worse. So I I don't think I've lost anything by not going the the MPH route. I mean the MPA route. Um, I think the other piece is because for me social work is very much a vocation. I had to understand me, and I don't know if some of the other disciplines would have provided me the space in order to be curious, I'm going to use an even further word, interrogate the things that make me who I am and the biases that I come with, both the good biases and the bad ones. Um, and I, I think, it, honestly, if I had all the policymakers in a room, I think I would have them do more of their own inner work. Because I don't, I think that's how we reimagine systems. So it's a both and. I think it's both the top down and it's a bottom up. Yeah, yeah I, I think you make a good point there. I mean, I, I've, you know, to your point where you said, you know, policymakers uh, aren't necessarily understanding the policies that they're making and how it has those impacts. You know, I think that that works on on a very local level uh state federal and, and above because you know we have individuals making decisions about the livelihood of of other individuals but they don't know what that community is like they don't mm -hmm. know the struggles that come with that right and i think the the interrogation part that, that you mentioned as as uh micah has also commented uh, as she's viewing this uh it's important. You, you've got to be honest with yourself. You've got to be real with yourself so that you can then start to really process what some of those things are and, and you know, how you can make a difference from the professional standpoint. Yeah. And I think interrogation, it's hard. You know, we all need loving relationships in communities that can support us in looking in the mirror. You know, we, we it's it's our our defense mechanisms are they 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 both run amok and I'm so grateful I have them. They both keep me safe and they keep me away from the things about myself that I need to know so I can clean them up. Absolutely, absolutely. And obviously, when you throw into it um, being a minority, uh, being a, a member of of you know the gay community all these different things that just throw different variables and different obstacles for you to be able to look in the mirror and say, Hey, this is what it is. And this is how I need to try to, to process this so that once I process it, I know how to act and, and kind of move forward. Um, you know, because 
again, we all have these different struggles internally and externally that, that if we can't be honest with ourselves, it's going to be very, very difficult, in my opinion, to, to carry out anything of significance because you're behind this, this mask, so to speak. I absolutely agree with you. Um, I'm, I'm glad your discipline offered you the benefit of being self-aware. I think it's a challenge for many of us, especially in the physical therapy profession, um, because I think one of the reasons why so many gravitate towards like orthopedics and other settings is it's more for gratification of seeing the direct reward of, hey, look what I can do versus what the patient in front of you that you're serving is able or capable of doing. So I, I'm glad you you well you can touch me, on to that self self awareness. Doctor Mo, let me be honest with you. That's Hayden Dawes' mo. But <laughs> I, we we got some people. My you know, I am a big proponent of therapist Twitter. Shout out therapist Twitter. But sometimes, <laughs> baby, I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> and I'm for real. And I think I'm going to be really honest. And I think about this a lot. As we think about the distrust in so many of our institutions, from Congress to the Supreme Court, to our faith communities, to our schools, to, to so many of these different pockets of institutions, I, I, and higher education, even at times, people trust their therapists. If they got a good therapist, they trust their therapist. And I think sometimes it's, it's, there's a lot of tension in that because I do think we're human beings. And I do think sometimes we need to recognize that we're held at a high esteem. And sometimes the way we show out on some of these, social media platforms, I think, again, needs to be interrogated because we have a lot of power. And I think one, one of the, 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 the different sort of variables I don't think we've named explicitly is, is, is the power aspect of it. And I think with interrogation, power is the thing that needs to be looked at. And I think, Mo, what you're talking about in terms of I'm the doctor, the power is not the, that's not the variable that one wants to look at. You know, I think a lot about cultural humility and one of the things from Dr. Tervalon's work and um, Garcia is that it's about mitigating that power imbalance as much as possible. What can we do to give our clients, our patients, whatever word we want to use at the time, as much power and say in their work? Now we need to recognize that we have a lot of power. Shout out to um, Bell Hook's book, Teaching to Transgress, because she talks about the professor's power in the classroom, while she also acknowledges that students come with a whole host of knowledge, a whole host of knowledge. So what are we doing to invite their knowledge to the table? What are we doing to ask patients about who they are, where they come from, who they love, how they want their treatment to look like. What are we doing to make that happen? And what are the ways in which we are kind of doing that dance of, you know, I, I, I know you like that thing, but I'm not really sure that's congruent with the real goal that you have over here in terms of your treatment. Um, but I think it's really hard for certain disciplines um, as you kind of name Mo, because folks don't know how to be relational. But how do folks know how to be relational when so many of them come from families of origins where they were treated poorly? Good point. Good point. Absolutely. Good point. You bring up a great point with the power. Um, you know, a lot of us uh, in, in the physical therapy world, you know, we try to get that patient buy-in, right? They, they need to buy in to what we're telling them, get them that that we both want to get to whether that be you know reducing their pain improving their function a combination of that returning to sport dance where it may be um but it's and you described it in a very way that i haven't heard it before but it makes perfect sense is like 
you know, as a patient coming in, like they've got knowledge. They've got a lot of stuff that I don't necessarily have to be able to treat them. And when I was a faculty member um, in a PT program here at the University of South Florida, and I always just tell my students, like, if you just listen, mm-hmm. they're going to tell you everything that you need to know. Mm-hmm. And then that's when you put your skills as a clinician to work, to take the info that they've given you um, so that you can help them. But the way you framed it, the power, that makes so much more sense, but also so much more powerful because mm-hmm. when you tell a patient that they have power, right, and they they have a uniqueness to them, and that is what's going to help me as your clinician is to help you get to that point. And I think a lot of us don't see it that way, Ooh. don't think of it that way. Some of the professions absolutely refuse to even entertain that there is power mm-hmm. outside of them. That's why their outcomes are trash. <laughs> or, 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 you know, in, in a lot of worlds, their outcomes will trash. But a lot of times, you know, if we take the orthopedic surgeon as an example, you know, they're, they, oh boy, they're going to come for us. <laughs> but it's true. You know, I always tell, I always tell doctors, you know, patients, because patients be like, man, my orthopedic surgeon, like, I barely saw him or stuff like that. I'm like, I'm sorry, with the most respect possible, they don't care. They don't care about you as the individual, as the person. They care about the body part, joint, whatever it is that they just fixed. That is their satisfaction, right? If they if they replace your knee, they don't care about you, uh, Mr. Smith. They care about your knee, right? And then as long as the knee does what it's supposed to, it's a it's a, a successful outcome for them, right? But what happens after that is where we come in, and depending on the situation, others. But it's again, you, you phrased it in, in, in a way that, that is, to me, much more impactful that I hope that the listeners and when we share this move forward, like that you start to look at it that way. It's that everybody has power in all well, these rela- relationships. And if we tap into their power, then we can get the outcomes that we want. I mean, well said. I mean, this is about power sharing. Well, you know? um, I, I, I think... We, we know we're in healthcare, but we've been hearing more and more that it's more about sick care and empowering patients to, to believe that they do have some power is going to take away from that model of sick care because you want people to become dependent on the power that you have. So that's typically how the power dynamics have been working in, in healthcare, but with alternatives, cheaper, fast alternatives. I think we're trying to break out of that um, model that we've mm-hmm. had in the past for too long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Now, earlier you mentioned in some of the things where, you know, social media and how as, as healthcare professionals, we're to use this platform, right? It, 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 social media, obviously growing up, didn't have any of that, didn't know, you know, that didn't play a factor into how I lived my life. Now, I mean, social media is for most people, arguably is their life because it's the platform to where they communicate. You know, I met Mo through social media. We and met we're grateful Twitter. for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we met through through Twitter and then through those, we got a chance to, to meet in, in person at, at a, one of our national conferences. Um, but to dig deeper into your thoughts on social media, your thoughts on social media and being a, a healthcare professional. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, first I have to, let's go back to Hope Mills, North Carolina. I didn't think I'd have to go back, but here we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I was raised Catholic and having my own coming out struggle with that in a church that was not affirming, you know, I think it's better than some, but let's just be honest, it's not affirming. And dealing with the shame and stigma of that, you know, I had my best friend who was going through the same thing too. And 
being grateful for this now kind of defunct um, social media platform. It's called LiveJournal. Don't know if folks are familiar with that. It even predates MySpace, but people could go in there and share their stories and about anything, and it's still there. Um, there's a really kind of popular one about celebrity gossip, but that's not the, the topic of conversation. And um, I'm grateful for it. It allowed me to feel seen, feel heard, connect with other people that were queer like me. It was a lifeline. You know, I, I, I honestly think that the, the internet was probably a safer place back then, if I'm being honest, in some ways. Um, I don't really have data to back that up. And so kind of moving along and talking to people through um, the internet and different spaces um, in college and then Facebook becomes what it is. And I'm someone that's extremely social. So I always have like a lot of Facebook friends because um, I really adore people. At the, at the core of me, I adore people. And moving ahead, when COVID happened, and it felt like our world was kind of like, for me, getting smaller and smaller and smaller. It was hard for me to know what agency I had, what autonomy I had for my situation. Well, for the longest time, I was sort of writing a permission slip to myself on Instagram. This was when it was a private Instagram um, every day. And it was like, today, I give myself permission to, you know, be joyful. Today, I give myself permission to have a tough conversation with a friend. Um, and I did that for 100 days. And then at the end of it, I was like, wow, that was really interesting. And I'm glad I did it. And people that were on my Instagram, my, my friends were commenting daily, like, oh, this is even helpful for me. Well, then later, COVID happened. I, I said to myself, what if I kind of opened up my permission slips for 14 days while everyone is trying to figure out life in this new kind of world and see what happens. I was absolutely astounded. How many people said it was helpful for them, the permission slips that they were granting themselves um, to feel certain things, to, to take certain actions. Um, then from there, I kind of went into um, Twitter and I started doing the same thing. I, you know, I knew even though I was a PhD student and I love research, but it can take so long to, to come up with findings and to be rigorous and all of those wonderful things. I'm, I'm also a clinician to my core and I wanted to be with people. I wanted to help people as much as I could. And I'm also super extroverted. And that felt like a space that I could open up online for people. And I can say it's absolutely changed my life. And it's, I call myself the curator of radical permission. Um, it's sort of not mine to own, but it is mine to sort of steward and take care of. And people will share so much online every day with me when I share a permission slip about what permission they're going to give themselves. Now, see, that is a way to use social media for me that feels authentic. It feels very much situated in what I do and who I am and the authenticity that I'm trying to bring. Um, am I these people's therapists? No, not no, I don't I wouldn't say that. We don't have a contractual agreement, and nor are we really sort of targeting specific, you know, goals that they may have. But I do think I'm I'm a human being opening up a space that I do think possibly might be doing something for, for people in their daily lives. Um, I, I know businesses use social media, uh, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, to try to acquire clients uh, to come to them. So most of them want to use it for that space. And in that setting, they don't really have a chance to be authentic because they're shit stories, they're just doing marketing. Um, I know a lot of clinicians are afraid to use social media because they don't feel that they could be their authentic selves. But to me, honestly, that's a selling point to any prospective client. Because if mm -hmm. they see you being your authentic self, seeing you going through stuff that they're going through, seeing you being humorous, seeing you being serious, that will form some sort of connection. So I've, I've been hearing social media is a devil. It's too much arguing. It's too much this. It's too much that. But as you said, use the right way 
it can bring a lot of good. Yeah, I have I have dear friends of mine whose phone numbers I have, sort of like Alex and Mo that I met through Twitter. I have dear friends that I've met on Instagram, people that are other therapists that are also trying to weather this really interesting time, difficult time in human history. And I, I think I've learned some things. I will say this, if you don't know who you are offline, you are not gonna know who you are online. You just won't. Good point. That's worth and repeating. If you don't know who you are offline, you won't know who you are online. You just, you know, I do think online can help you figure out who you are. I mean, you can see that with a lot of queer people who who start thinking and sort of exploring their own gender in an online space. And it really helps inform how they want to show up offline. But there's still going to be that, that rub and that tension about the authenticity piece. Now, let's talk about authenticity for real recently on Twitter, on Therapist Twitter, you know, there was a, um, this kind of came over from TikTok. There was a Black woman who was speaking about her views about Black men and the ways in which they're showing up in relationship. You know, I, I some people found it to be very offensive and kind of shaming of Black men. You know, other people were arguing that she was just sharing her opinion and she was being authentic. Well, she lost her job. She lost because, her job. Because of this opinion. Well, I don't think it was her opinion. I think it was the ways in which she showed her opinion. Gotcha. And so we they are powerful tools. And I don't want to um, sort of um, try to walk away from that. Social media is a powerful tool, which speaks to the importance of having intention in your authenticity. You're not just authentic, just like hanging out, like no one's going to see it. You have to learn how to play the instrument in a tuneful way. There's dangers to that because people love the shine and the glow up. They love the clout. Like you said, they love the likes. They love the smiles. But I'm like, baby, this is going to come with some downsides to it. Are you ready for that? So go in with informed consent. You know, I, I am a proponent of like there's benefits to it. And there's ways in which, you know, we can, if folks want to consult with me sort of individually, we can talk about that. I have friends of mine that I'm like, you're, you're not going to be a social media star. You don't want to be. And yet there is a way in which you can sort of have a like something on your online presence that can say something about you professionally. I think academic Twitter is a really good example of that. There's some academics that keep it very much really close to the research. And it's a place for them to talk about their findings. I have a dear colleague um, at a Boston University who does a lot of important work around Medicaid data. And when he publishes a paper, he's out there, he's engaging with the comments when people have questions about his paper about how can we improve the Medicaid system so we can reach folks that need it. So there are ways to engage it. So, and one of the things, because I spent a lot of time online, there is a whole plethora. There's a lot of different examples. So I think people do need to slow down and really consider what they want it to look like explore a little bit, find a community. You know, I can be, you know, kind of petty and irreverent. That fits for me. You know, but I have to think to myself, there might be future employers that don't want a petty version of Hayden. And I can say most days I'm like, okay, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because I know I'm going to bring, I bring a hell of a lot other kind of attributes. I haven't just been petty this whole time, right? Um, and so I do think there's something about letting one's full self kind of shine. Absolutely. I mean, I think it, because of social media and the, the opportunity it gives for people to, to, to put, you know, filters, right? So we can filter what we want to see or how we want it to look, right? You know, there's, you always see the, you know, the IG filter and then the real life and then the, the distinction between both situations, right? But I, I think showing the good with the bad, that authenticity is what helps make that connection. And it's going to truly help, you know, so when you're doing the, the permission slips, 
that's that's authentic because it's not just all good right right that you you know one of the examples you, you're allowing yourself to feel what may be perceived as a negative feeling but you need to feel it you need to yes. process it yes so that then you can grow then you can move on to the next step i mean a lot of times it's just like hey i'm kind of frustrated right now because of this situation let me just feel this frustration accept it clear it now i can focus on what i need to do moving forward but if we don't take that bad then we can't really move forward because we're right. being held back by that right so right. it's it's the authenticity both the good and the bad but doing it in a in, in a tactile like proper manner yeah know? contained it, exactly to where you can do those things and, and and i think for a lot of us and you know and i always say this and like twitter's not real because there's a lot of people that use their platform whether they're just trying to go viral or they just want to be a contrarian to get to their point right you know we have we have <laughs> and we talked about this uh last week i don't know any of those with, <laughs> with rich you know even in pt twitter where you have oh there's a pt twitter Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, hey, you don't need to dip in. You don't want to be on that black hole. I don't know what I'll be saying. I don't know, you know, but um, I can dip in. I can make some noise. You know, but you know, like hashtag Team Alex and Mo. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but it, it is, you know, people pick and choose how they want to use social media plat platforms and. A lot of times I would say there's some of us have ulterior motives with, with what we're doing. Um, you know, we want to be that contrarian because it's going to draw eyes to what we're, what I'm saying. And then once I have you, so to speak, I can tell you about all these other things that I'm trying to do. Right. Because I've, I did that shock and awe type treatment. Right. to get. People. Can y'all buy my book? Can y'all sign up for my podcast? Even yeah. though I just shocked you with that first tweet. <laughs> Exactly. And that's basically what it is, right? You know, so, I think for me, I think for me, the shift has been, it's about depth of the relationships that I have. It's not about breath. It's not about how many people I collect. This is not Pokemon, gotta catch them all. <laughs> True. That's facts. That's facts. You know, <laughs> I, I, you know, and obviously Mo has But learned. I do want people on a Tuesday morning when they wake up to think Hayden Dawes Petty Tuesday, right? Yeah. That's death. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, to, to me, oh, it's, gosh. To, to me, it's more, you know, less is more in a way, because if I can make meaningful connections with less individuals, that can get me further. Mm -hmm. that I can I can give and take in a much more positive way than having superficial relationships with much more people. Um, so I, I wanted to give you all an example of someone that I met on therapist Twitter. Um, it's at Christine Saidi. And so Christine did something that I haven't done myself, even though I recommend that people do it. You see how us hypocritical people that work in healthcare, you see that? <laughs> um, <laughs> eat your fruits and vegetables, y'all, while I go to Wendy's. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I said something that I think everyone should be doing, especially people who are professionals, is thinking about sort of rules of engagement online. And maybe there's a particular platform that one uses. So that way, when our humanness kind of takes over and we want to get into the muck, into the fighting, we can say, you know what, let me look at my rules of engagement and see what's going on. And so one of the things that um, Christine puts on her thread about um, her, her user manual for Twitter is what she called it. is she says, number one, she names her purposes of being on Twitter. She says, I wouldn't, I'm here because I'm, to hear from people I wouldn't normally encounter 
who are systematically ignored silence to connect with therapy colleagues and learn from both like-minded and differently minded therapists and to see what kind of international, not face-to-face -face community can build on this platform. Look at all that curiosity. With the goals in mind, I will prioritize retweeting queer people, people of color, disabled people and women. I'm not gonna read all of this, but then she talks about what's gonna happen if she does get in conflict. And I've been that person to be in conflict with people. She says, when I disagree with someone or have concerns, to the extent I'm able with my time and energy, I will take it to the DMs, direct messages for people that don't know, and invite one-on-one -on -one conversation. The public nature of a reply is more likely to trigger defensiveness and inhibit conversation and growth. Chef's kiss. I, I agree. That's I agree. Facts. That's facts. I mean, a lot of times, you know, it happens, you're, you're on your feed and all you're getting is replies, right? And you're just seeing these like, man, this is pretty heated conversation. Let me look into the red to see where this, where this started and where it took a, a left turn into, into where it is now. Um, and I think again, a lot of times and part of why I say like, Twitter is not real is because these people wouldn't say the things that they say in the tone that they say it if we were sitting, you know, in front of another. That doesn't necessarily well, mean you're going to, your, your your point, your mind is going to change. Like you can still right. disagree, but well, it's how we disagree. Absolutely. Like it may not be real, but the implications of it are. Yeah. Yes. People That's lose fabulous. jobs over Twitter. People get jobs. You don't know how many opportunities I've gotten just because of my tweets. There are people that know of my work because I tweet. But again, I try to be very intentional about it. You know, I have not written it down as good as my girl Christine has. And I really need to sit down and do that and truly practice what I preach while I go to Wendy's. Um, but seriously, <laughs> it's just... It's so important because, you know, I, I, I got some stats because, you know, I'm a researcher like that. 64% of Americans have a negative, they, they think that social media has a negative impact on society, right? We're spending like average of two hours a day on these platforms. 54% of U.S. teens say it would be hard to give up social media. Y'all, we are not going to get rid of this thing. So we have to be intentional and figure it out. And part of me, the, the the I think the deep part of me says, our our kind of our existence hinges on this. Like I feel like with one tweet, we could be in a nuclear war. And I hate to be like you know so super alarmist about it. We have to get better with it, and we have to create more ways of being intentional and relational, as real as it is, and or not. No, absolutely, absolutely. You know, again, it, it's it's become a much more bigger piece of everyday life um, for, for all age. I mean, you have much of the older population that can now get into ways and, and it gives people an opportunity, like, you know, like Christine said, it, it, I can reach people that I normally would never mm -hmm. reach. Right. But again, now because you have the access to them, what are we doing with it? Are we doing something in a positive manner, as you mentioned, with with good intentions, right? Because ultimately, that's what what becomes the most the, the lasting part is what was your intention? Because again, we're never all gonna agree, but if we can listen, absorb, process, then we can at least understand where that other individual is coming from. You know, and that's always been my thing uh, in real life, in Twitter and any other social media platform is I don't necessarily have to agree with you, but I'm going to do my damn best to make sure that I at least try to understand you, mm -hmm. to try to understand where you're coming from, you know, what experiences you've had that have led you to this point to, to feel and think a certain way. Because if I can do that, then I can at least be open-minded and say, hey, I kind of get it. I kind of get why you feel that way. I kind of get why you think 
that this isn't important and maybe I don't or vice versa, whatever the case may be. Um, but we're so, I think as a whole, you know, we're more about that shock and awe. Like, let me just say something or do something that's going to draw eyes and it's just going to make this big impact. But my intention was never uh, an authentic intention. I never had any, I wasn't really trying to get to, to understand you. I just wanted to, I just wanted to, to, to make an, you know, make a statement, just foolishness to get, um, to get answers, to get comments, to get whatever the case may be. Yeah. Shocker, shocking ourselves. And we've been seeing that, you know, you want to have clickbaits, but, um, it seems like we are all different from that. That's not our agenda. Look, Twitter actually brought us together to create this episode and one thing about twitter that has helped me it you can establish a community like how you have therapist twitter pt twitter use for good can actually mobilize and force uh changes and call to action all call to action is to listen internalize and take action from the information that our guests will receive from these episodes and we encourage you guys to go back, listen to the others. Yes, I'm, I'm selling here. Um, but um, Gary V said, TikTok is the future of business. YouTube is creating all these different platforms for content creators because more and more people are tuning into these social media platforms. So coming up with guidelines on how to react because I think a lot of us are very reactionary and very defensive. Absolutely. And you made a tweet that, you know, news come to us so quickly, especially on social media because- Oh my gosh, yes. I, I, I don't even listen to the news on television like that anymore. I, I would go see on Twitter feed, oh, Russia is attacking Ukraine or Biden dead student loan. Um, that relief and seeing the reactions of people, I'm like, wow, they had time to process this. <laughs> and well, it, the truth is, they didn't. Yeah, it, it starts off a whole Twitter war because people don't have time to take back and and process stuff, and it's making people feel that they have to be reactionary to everything that breaks or every breaking news. And to me, that's not good. And it's, it is not good. And I think it's so sad that people are, well, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm processing this. People are so unseen in their day-to-day -day life that they're trying to get seen on their online life. But then some people are only getting seen online, right? They're only under being understood online. And it's so tempting. I even see it in myself. I'm so tempted to spend time there to try to get another viral tweet out there, to try to get another viral Instagram post, to try to get another viral TikTok. Like I see like that dopamine, just that push, that drive to get that reward. And only when I'm mindful and wise and I'm like, well, hold up. That's not really gonna give me what I want. You know, so I think, again, understanding, like, is it about depth or is it about sort of just going far with something? Is it about something that's kind of cheap, shallow? You know, with that one tweet that I wrote about, everyone was talking about the student loan thing and everyone had an opinion. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what do I think? What do I think? And I'm like, I'm in the middle of my day. I'm literally trying to write my proposal, I'm trying to answer some questions elsewhere about some other things and answer emails. No other time in human history or in my life would I've been forced to think about how a public policy is going to impact me that quickly. So why is it that I feel like I have an opinion, have to have an opinion about this right now? I don't. Hayden, slow your roll. Just because the herd is doing one thing, you just be like, y'all go ahead and, and and go ahead and yell at Biden like he's really listening to you anyway, sweetie. Furthermore, like, 
Maybe this is helping a lot of borrowers. What's the data show? Oh, you don't have the data? You just wanted to loud and, and scream at folks? Okay. Doesn't sound like it's a very sound opinion to me, but whatever. I'm going to figure it out for me. And I need a few days for that. <laughs> well, that's real. Um, that's real. I, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that too, because even with the Supreme Court decision on uh, Roe v versus Wade, um, there were members of our association who wanted a quick response from the association and others felt that they needed to take time to craft a message that would probably be in the best interest of every member and mm -hmm. not just a select few that are siloed on, on Twitter. So that, that, quick, that quick thing has been to our detriment at times. Mm. Well, absolutely. I, I feel like a lot of times when decisions or reactions are made uh, fairly quickly, there's probably a lot more in emotional involvement than you would want um, in, in those decisions or those thoughts, right? When, when we tend to react pretty quickly, in my opinion, it's, there's a lot more emotion in that response. Yeah, and the therapist me is kind of jumping up and this kind of goes to the authenticity piece. It's like getting even to an, like an argument with one's partner, it's like, I'm feeling something right now. I don't know exactly what it is, but I know I'm having a reaction to it. Like we get so caught up in the content of what's happening, think we need a problem solve, where it's like, I would appreciate it if people are like, I'm not sure what Biden's done. I don't know what this means for me. I'm gonna need some time to think about it. Cause that's the truth. Rather than being so certain, like we lack so much curiosity in the online space sometimes. I'll give you another example. This is kind of taken somewhere different. So a pretty internationally renowned psychologist got into it with me. Well, I got it. Well, let's, let me, my tweet was something to the effect of, you know, one day I want to create a curriculum. Um, I want to create a curriculum addressing internalized oppression. This psychologist wrote back, it's called psychoanalysis. <laughs> The white guy and i was just as soon as i read it i was like someone I, honestly i think i woke up number one don't have your phone next to your bed we all do it don't do it i do it don't do it i'm going to Wendy's. and so <laughs> i was like what and i said you know and I, I i you can go back in my tweets and i said i don't think you meant any i i don't want to think you meant any harm by this I want everyone that is following me, especially the people of color and other people that are marginalized to see that this is not okay with me, what you just said in this context. I, I want to, if you're willing to talk a little bit more with me about this, meet me in the DMs. Let's take it to the streets. Let's take it to the out. Let's figure this out. Because A, I wanted to, there was two things I was trying to do. One, I was trying to say that this is a boundary that's really inappropriate for you to just slide that in there like that, especially about this topic matter that you don't know very much about if you're being honest, because you don't have that lived experience. Number two, I wanted to show people that there's a ways in which to have conflict that is not going to tear down people's humanity. And I think that's a problem on social media, especially PT Twitter. When you can't carefully get your point across, the insults and the tearing down of a person's humanity is what it often leads into. And that's that's bad. You 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 block people, you delete people that if you get to meet them in, in real life, you realize that you guys have more in common than you don't so we no, have to be better hands with these people i don't want to see them <laughs> <laughs> says the extrovert <laughs> i love people i do i mean it, when i'm in conflict with anybody it tears me up to pieces but you know so, I'm so through it. as we get close to to wrapping up here you mentioned you know obviously at times you have a disagreement or or something with the partner you take some time or you, you probably try to take some time to 
absorb whatever the conflict may be and, and then you know move forward from there I, i'm a huge huge believer that one of the biggest decisions you make in life is who you choose to spend your life with mm-hmm. um your spouse you know in, in my case my wife um and how that then allows me to do the things that that i want to do to have her support um i've said it time and time again on our show like without her i don't get to be who i am i don't get to be in this space um because i need her to be able to do that you know she's with my boys right now getting them ready for bed and and hopefully they're sleeping by now because a little late they got school tomorrow but um but yeah like she is my partner my rock um your husband mm-hmm. what does he mean to you and how it allows you to be hayden you know the the, the professional and all the stuff that, that you've got going on and that you're working on. Wow, no one has ever asked me this question, Alex. <sighs> you know, I'll, I'll put it succinctly. He's the Stedman to my Oprah. That, that's awesome. I, I, like I said, I, I feel like it is it is a critical part you know, he he's he's not on the fan train, and yet he's very proud of me, which is important. Like everyone else in my life will be like, "Oh, Hayden, you're going places. You're a star. This and that." He'll be like, "Well, you sh- did you take the trash out?" Like it's just, <laughs> and so he's very grounding for me. We're grounding for one another. Um, I wouldn't be who I am without him, and yet I'm great. I'm grateful that. He knew me before social work. He knew me back when I was doing sales and I was miserable, like absolutely miserable. We've grown up together. We're getting stronger together. I'm so very grateful for him. Um, And that's important because what you mentioned before, if you're not seen in your day-to-day daily life, that creates problems. And having, having the, I wouldn't say perfect partner, but having your person makes you seen and supported in your day-to-day life so that your presence on Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok, Facebook, it becomes better and intentional to actually be of greater good for everyone. Yes, and I'm super petty. He doesn't have an Instagram, so he doesn't follow me on Instagram. He doesn't have a Twitter, so he doesn't follow me on Twitter. I was in a race to 5K to get 5,000 followers with some of my friends, and he didn't even join Twitter then. And then, so I have this whole thing. Listen, like this pettiness is not, it's not over. My signature emojis are a blue heart, a purple heart, another blue heart. Well, I just now opened my private practice back up. I have my office so I can do my reading, my writing, all the wonderful things that I do in this space in this room. So this is not my home. Well, I got three balloons from Party City that were my signature heart. So I brought them home. My husband is meticulous with design. He does floor arranging. He's really wonderful at And so we're doing chores on Sunday and he has, he he pulls out some scissors because I brought the balloons home. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, they kept getting caught up in the the vacuum cleaner. I said, what? I said, these are my balloons and you're just gonna like, no, 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 no. I said, we'll cut the strings. And so they're just hanging at the top of the ceiling right now (laughs) by the popcorn. So you all can follow me on Instagram um, at HCRs because they're up there. But I was like, how dare you? He said, this week they're going. But you know, I'm saying, maybe I should go buy some more balloons from Party City. Is he a Virgo? Is he a Virgo by chance? He's not a Virgo. Oh, okay. <laughs> because, yeah, we can we can be petty, um, petty at times and very meticulous. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the pettiness in a relationship, man, it, it can get to unknown levels. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so, it's just so much fun, though. It's so oh, much fun to rag on your partner. It, it is, it, so, it, I mean, it, it absolutely is. And, and the best part for me is like, you know, 
after you guys, you know, you get into it and, and you, you have your little tips and tats, but then you can just laugh about it. Absolutely. Right. And, and then that's when you know that you've got something, something real and something good because it, it's all a part of it. You know, it, just with any, any other relationship, there's going to be highs, there's going to be lows, but you know, how do you manage that and, and how do you keep it, keep it moving forward? So, Absolutely. um, well, Hayden, thank you very, very much. Thank um, you. this was an absolute pleasure, uh, to have you on, um, learned a ton, good conversation. So thank you. Thank you very much. Very grateful for your time. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we look forward to, to seeing more petty Tuesdays and, and everything Hashtag else. Radical permission and HC Dawes on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. I don't. Yes. TikTok yes. Yes. Much. Follow, follow my man here because he, he's doing good things, doing big things and just putting out a lot of good info. You know, again, I think that's the most important thing. And we've hit on it uh, multiple times this evening is your intention. Your, your intentions are authentic. Your intentions are real. Um, and your intentions are to help. And if we can get more of that out in, in the social media platforms, I, I think as a whole, we'll start to see some positive changes uh, across, the, across the spectrum. But again, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time uh, to our viewers always. Thank you very much. Continue to follow, like, comment, uh, share with family and friends. Uh, share this episode because I feel like this episode is going to be be a hit. Um, just because it, it, it definitely, it definitely will. Uh, so, but again, <laughs> and then again to everybody, have a good evening. Uh, you don't know if you want to throw anything else in there, but Hayden, thank you very much. Thank you. I I definitely want to wish you all the best um, with your PhD program. Um, I know you will make a great researcher and our community will benefit from it. So I look forward to all the great things that you have ahead. Thank you. I need that. Keep praying for me, y'all. We will. And I am going to give myself permission to participate more in Petty Tuesdays. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. Have a good night. Good night, guys. <laughs>